I think we start life as babies uh, 100% selfish. Right. And, uh, and that's not wrong. It's just called immaturity. I think when in the Christian life, I, I think they, we, we also have to go through immaturity. And immaturity, uh, we are often at the center of, uh, of what's going on. I think as, as we grow more mature, uh, then I think we begin to shift from things that just benefit me that, to things that benefit uh, my commander. Um, my, my God, uh, my, my, my champion. And so I think, uh, I, I don't know if the motives change, but our, our direction changes so that we're now wanting to please her. Well, Cecil, welcome back. This is the third time that you've been on the, the podcast with us. I know this is not your favorite format to communicate. Um, actually, let's start there. What would you say? Is it one to one? What, what, what's your favorite format of, of communicating and helping the other people learn the scriptures and grow? I feel the freest uh, when I'm talking to one person or a small group. I feel my mind seems to be uh, more open. The more people there is in the room, the more cloudy my mind gets. And I'm not, I don't think I can explain why. I just know that it happens. So I really prefer the one-on-one. -on -one. Something like this makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one-on-one, -on -one, but then that camera is over there and it, uh, the microphones are in your face. It's, it's a little bit different, but um, I really enjoyed all of our conversations over the years um, and often felt like I wish that those had been recorded so that other people could benefit. So we're going to have a chat uh, today that I think will be really stimulating and helpful for people who want to follow Jesus, who want to know what it is that God's doing in the world today, how they can be a part of it. But just by way of introduction, I was just telling you before we, we started recording that you look great for your age, so I don't want to necessarily call you out or put you on the spot, but you're getting ready to turn 80 this year. Is that right? Yes. So you've been around the block. How long, how many of those 80 years have you been following Jesus with purpose? Well, I have to do the math. I became a Christian at 19, and uh, so I was sort of circling in the wilderness uh, in my uh, little uh, part-time local church. And then I uh, met the navigators in the military uh, when I was about 20, uh, 23. And that's where I met a NAB trained laborer who invited me to, uh, uh, to meet uh, and talk about uh, discipleship. And so when I uh, had lunch with him, he uh, uh, talked about helping me in my Christian life. But my, my problems was my sin, not uh, I didn't know how he was going to help me with that. <clears throat> but he, he did, and he, he didn't go directly after my problems. He went after the solution, which is to get me in the Word, to get me under, uh, to understand that God was willing to forgive me. And uh, so he got me back on my feet. Yeah. So if that was 19 to 25 was sort of formative early years for you following Jesus, I mean, that's 55, 60 years of, of not just being a Christian, but really seeking to follow Jesus, learn and grow in your faith. And 
maybe most importantly, or, or most uniquely, I think, helping other people. Like a, a big part of your life over the course of your life has been seeking to learn how to communicate the scripture's truths to others so that they can come to know Jesus and follow him. You and I met, I think you were probably around the age of 50. You might've been in your late forties when we met. We met uh, back in 1994 uh, for the first time. And I was living a little distance away from you and Jeannie and the Navigator group there at Fort Campbell. So for the first year, um, I would see you maybe once a week because I would come down for the weekly Bible studies that you guys were doing on the base there. But that was it. Maybe one or two hours a week is, is the only overlap that our lives had. But towards the end of that year, you challenged me and invited me to, to move down and really go all in with what you guys were doing so that you could train me, which was different than just teaching me. And we're, we're actually going to talk a little bit later about this idea of life on life and how important that is, how essential it is to passing on the faith from one generation to the next. So, you know, that itself was almost 30 years ago, which is hard to hard to believe that uh, our paths have had that much overlap. Um, I often think now that <clears throat> I'm probably the age that you were hmm. when you and I <clears throat> when you and I met. And uh, I'm always surprised by that, but I'm also heartened and challenged by it because I've, se I've seen how faithful you've been over the past 30 years. And so, yeah, I don't know, when you get to 50, sometimes you can think that, well, I've, most of it's behind me, but hey, maybe a lot of it's still in front of me and I'd love to be able to walk in your footsteps. You shared yesterday with some of our, our local team here in San Diego, and you shared on life verses. So some of our listeners might be familiar with the idea of a life verse, that there's a particular verse of scripture that especially encourages you or challenges you or, or brings focus to your life. You've had several of those over your life. In fact, you mentioned four. I thought we could start off this conversation just by letting you share what, what are those four verses that have guided you over the years of following Jesus? Uh, in order to get there, let me, let me say that uh, uh, I was raised in a non-Christian family, and so I didn't ever go to church. And so uh, when the evangelist asked me uh, to pray the prayer, I had this mindset that I would have to obey. I'm not sure that everybody has that same mindset. But uh, so I didn't become a Christian till a year and a half because I assumed that God expected me to obey. And so I think that's where I, uh, I think in some ways I was fortunate not to um, be raised up in a church uh, because I took things a little more seriously, uh, thinking that not just praying a prayer was what was God was looking for, but it was me obeying him was what he's looking for. And so as I uh, uh, finished my f five years uh, in my local church, uh, drinking my saucers of milk, I uh, went in the military and I met this nav trained guy. And so he, uh, he got me uh, going in Bible study and he got me going in, in uh, thinking discipleship. And after I got out of the military, uh, I, uh, he wanted me to finish college. I wanted to drop out and go get training, but he 
was pretty strong about me finishing college, and so I did. So when I showed up uh, after college, uh, ha having met Jeannie during that time frame, when I showed up, uh, the first uh, 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 STS, what they call a search of scriptures, a, a mature Bible study, uh, was that night. And so he invited me to come. And so I was a little bit insecure. And uh, uh, the NAV rep, his name was Mel Leader, asked that everybody would go around and share their life first. And I remember that scared me just a little bit because I never thought of something like that. And I, I was going to get embarrassed on the first get-go. Uh, but they were they were uh, kind to me and, and passed me up. But that did impact me that I wanted to find a verse that really capsulized what my life was all about. And so as I began to, to uh, read through the Bible and, and search for these this key verse, I stumbled into one that was common to other people, but it was new for me, and that was Matthew 6.33. And Matthew 6.33 that uh, many will know says, If I will seek the kingdom of God, God will uh, take care of my problems. He'll clear the way for me. And so I thought that was a deal that was hard to refuse. God would have my back. And so I picked Matthew 6, 33 as my, as my first key verse. And as I uh, continued to grow, I found another verse that I thought maybe trumped this one. Had the same vein, but, but may added something to it. And that was Colossians 2, 3. So when I uh, read Colossians 2, 3, that says, In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, uh, then, then uh, I knew that, that uh, if I was going to understand what this kingdom of God is all about, uh, it wasn't going to be sitting on the top of the Gospels. It was going to be buried deep, uh, deep within them. So that gave me my marching orders that I was going to have to accentuate the Gospels, not stop reading the old and the new, but accentuate the Gospels. And so uh, I tell people I got distracted on my third life verse because I kind of got involved in what I need to do, uh, which is, is part of, of what God is all about. But I picked a passage in Ezekiel 9.4, and the first six verses of Ezekiel 9, uh, he, uh, God gives Ezekiel a, a vision, and he has these seven men, or could be angels, that stood before him. And uh, the one had a writing kit, the other six had swords strapped to their, their, their sides. And so he tells the one with a writing kit, go into the streets of Jerusalem and see uh, who cares about what's happening to my people, uh, who, who, uh, it, that it bothers them. And, and when you find one of these people, he said, put a mark, on, on a black mark on their forehead. And then uh, after he did that, then he came back and then he turned to the six and he said, now draw your swords. And he said, uh, go in verse four, go into the, the streets and anyone you find that does not have this mark, kill them. And I thought that was uh, this, of course, was a parable, but uh, or an allegory. But uh, it let me know how God felt about people who just wanted to be Christians but didn't get didn't want to get involved with with what God was doing. And so uh, 
I held on to that verse for quite a while. That that motivated me uh, for my marching orders. But uh, finally, uh, only a couple of years ago, I, I found a verse that I think uh, I'll keep as my uh, life verse. I don't think I can find a better one. And it was before God ever created man. Uh, he had a conversation with himself in Genesis one twenty six, And he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God's thinking wasn't just to pump out babies. God's thinking was to bring people to maturity. Bring them, uh, he wanted to, to uh, find people who had his values, who aligned with him. And so uh, I, that continued to form my vision in terms of how I wanted to uh, direct my life. Yeah, so these verses, they weren't necessarily, what was the space between between uh -huh. them, would you say? I mean, you don't have to dial it in perfectly, oh, yeah. but yeah. years were oh, in between. Oh, it was years in between. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't say that I was going to do this, but how many times have you read through the, the scriptures, would you estimate? Uh, yeah, I'm having to estimate. Uh, I began to read through them uh, more than once a year. And now I'm down to once a year, but I estimate I'm on my 57th time. So I, I've already bought my 58th Bible. So over the course of these years of, of reading, studying and meditating on God's word, these were verses that at different times stood out to you. I, I really enjoyed it because it, it really there is a bit of a progression there as you as you work through those those four verses. I, I can see how that that first one appealed to you. Mm -hmm. You know, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well, because that, that really helps you. That helps. It liberates you to focus on the things that that are most important to God, his kingdom and his righteousness, knowing that these other things, all these other things are going to be taken care of. And then, you know, the, the Colossians two, verse three um, in Christ are hidden all the treasures so again, there's a good focus there. Well, well, okay, if I just focus on Jesus, I don't have to figure all these things out. If I, if I focus on Jesus, that's where all the treasures are hidden. But like you said, they're hidden. They're not necessarily obvious. You, you really do have to dig them out. But those two, you could say, um, and it sounded like when you were sharing that, that there was a little bit of self-interest or maybe a lot of self-interest <laughs> behind picking those verses that, hey, these are really going to help me out. Ezekiel 9 is a little bit different. Ezekiel 9, the, the last two verses are a little bit different because they really shift towards, well, what's important to God? And Ezekiel 9, to become the, the type of person that cares about the things that God cares about and to realize that that's important to God, that that's not just uh, an abstract thing to him. Um, he's, he's very much aware of and concerned. Yesterday, when we were sharing with the group, you, you referenced Second Chronicles 16, that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So God, God being on the search and it being important to him that we become the kind of people who care about the things that he care about that he cares about Ezekiel nine, and then with Genesis one, um, we sort of find well this is what he cares about this is this is the original, I believe you called it the commander's intent. If we go back to the beginning to to try and discern what what was behind creation, what 
what did God care about? We, we find the, this passage in Genesis 1 that God, in some ways, he created the entire cosmos so that he could get to verse 26, so that he could place a creature into this universe that he had created who was unique, who, who shared his image. And so uh, I thought that would be a, a fun journey down memory lane, but also sort of, um, I think it's instructive that, that as we're following Jesus, hopefully that's the, that's the journey we're on, that what motivates us at the outset um, needs to shift over time so that we become more and more concerned about what's on his mind, what's on his heart, and how we can be a, a part of that. Well, I, I think we I think we start life as babies, a hundred percent selfish, right. and uh, and that's not wrong. It's just called immaturity. I think when in the Christian life, I, I think that we we also have to go through immaturity, and immaturity uh, we are often at the center of uh, of what's going on. I think as as we grow more mature, uh, then I think we begin to shift from things that just benefit me that to things that benefit uh, my commander, mm-hmm. um, my, my God. Uh, my, my, my champion. And so I think, uh, I, I don't know if the motives change, but our, our direction changes so that we're now wanting to please our. Yeah. I, I, that makes sense to me that, uh, maybe our motives don't completely change, but I do, I do think that they, like you said, mature and they broaden so that now I'm still very much self-interested in what's, what's best for me. I, I I'll confess that at this point in my life, but I hope and I, I believe that there's a broader lens as well to, to say, OK, well, yes, I'm this is important to me, but there are people that I care about that I want to see. I want to see them do well. And then, of course, as a follower of Jesus, there are things that I've learned that he cares about that I want to be a part of my life. So that it broadens and and matures. You recently gave a talk based on these these ideas genesis 1 and god's original intent and how we're still called to be a part of that so genesis 1 26 i would i would try to broaden it even to verse 28 because i think we're going to talk about uh, our part in that so in verse 26 like you said god creates mankind in his image and then in verse 28 he's actually speaking to mankind and he tells him be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it and rule and so we see that uh, from the very beginning, um, our, our role as people was to reflect God's image on the earth, but also to reproduce it and to multiply it. That even though God started off with one man and one woman, his intent from the beginning was that the world would eventually be populated with, with uh, many people. <laughs> who shared that image, who, who reflected that image. And so we're going to talk some today about the idea of multiplication. And it's something that coming up in the navigator ministry, we talked about a lot, but in my interactions and in my time in the church outside of the navigators, it's not a word that, that gets talked about very much at all. So we're going to talk about multiplication. So maybe we can just start by trying to define 
when we talk about multiplication here over the next 30 minutes, what is it that, that we're talking about, spiritual multiplication? Uh, <clears throat> when, when the Old Testament uh, was in vogue, uh, they were kind of a Mennonite uh, environment. And that you, your responsibility wasn't to meet with your neighbor's children. Your responsibility is to take care of your own. Everybody responsible for their own. And uh, we call this addition. So, so that, uh, and it, it uh, so you, you're not conquering the world. You're just keeping a, uh, a, li a light on with your nation. And so when, when God decides to open up the door uh, with the Gentiles, now uh, it's no longer going to be in, in a locale. It's going to be spread throughout the whole earth. And so uh, the New Testament, Jesus changes his plan, or he upgrades his plan from addition. And now not only am I supposed to take care of my children, which is addition, now I'm supposed to help the hungriest with someone else's children who either don't know how or don't care uh, how their kids are doing. So multiplication is merely uh, uh, replanting in other gardens in order, uh, as well as my own, in order to uh, uh, get the word to the end of the earth. That's why Jesus called all of his 12, uh, he, he assigned them as uh, apostles. And of course, apostle means sent out. And so now, uh, this would have never happened in, in the old, in in the Old Testament, but it must happen in the New. And if so, if Christians only live their lives uh, with only their families, then the world is going to go to hell faster. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they uh, will begin to reach, uh, not take care of the ho their homes, and look for someone hungry with with someone else, I think that's what we call multiplication. Uh, you, you might want to embellish a little bit on that. Well, no, I think it's, um, I think you covered a lot of good ground right there. Jesus himself, of course, never married, never had physical descendants. And yet if you go back to Isaiah 53, and it's a great messianic prophecy from the Old Testament, and it talks about this, this coming Messiah figure. Um, and it, it talks about how because he was obedient and, um, and because God crushed him, it talks about how he would, he would come to rejoice and to see his descendants. And so something you have to square if you're trying to, I, I do believe that Isaiah 53 is, is foretelling Jesus and the ministry that he would have not only through his death on the cross, but through his work in raising up uh, a people for God that he would have descendants, but those descendants are clearly not, you know, physical children. So Jesus himself is, as you said, he is a, a marker of how God is beginning to shift into something that goes beyond just the physical into the spiritual. And there's so many ways, that, there's so many places we could go to, to describe this. So Jesus in John 4 with the woman at the well, where he tells her that an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, these physical locations, an hour is coming when no, no longer will you have to go to these, these stationary physical locations to worship God. Um, and that God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
um, Jesus is the one who, who begins to open the door for that to happen with the Gentiles, where it does go beyond our, our physical families, but it still parallels generations, spiritual generations, though, not just physical generations, but us raising, if the Lord blesses us with physical children, being faithful as stewards of those families, but then also looking beyond those families to those that God is going to bring into our life to, to disciple. It, it really connects back to Colossians 2, that in Jesus are hidden these treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we did a, uh, I think the last time you were on, we actually did uh, a converse, we had a conversation on how Jesus is our blueprint for life and ministry. And, and many people, I think, would agree that Jesus is a great example for us in, in life, especially in terms of morality and ethics. But they don't necessarily take the next step to say, well, he's, he's also our, our example, our blueprint for how to serve God, to, to serve God in the way that God actually is calling us to. And so I, I, as I was thinking about this, this may be a bad analogy, but they used to have um, in cereal boxes back in the 80s, <laughs> they would have, uh, you could get like a little, uh, tri a little map with hidden <laughs> symbols on it, but you had to have this decoder. You had to have some sort of like magnifying glass that would actually enable you to, to see the hidden messages or the, the things that you couldn't see with just your, your human eye you couldn't make those things out. And it's sort of just a, a concept. I was asking Cindy, like, what, what were those things called? And she said it was, they, were, they were decoders, which I was like, yeah, that, that's what it was. You had to have the decoder. You could, you could look at the script all day and not really make out what it was unless you had the, uh, the means that you could look through and see, then it would begin to make sense. I think that's Jesus for us. It's one way of understanding that we're, we're never going to make sense of this, this life that God is calling us to unless we, unless we look through Jesus, unless he becomes the one who's decoding. So I, I've got somewhere else I wanted to go, but I just wanted to well, give you a chance to respond to that. If we go back and uh, the, the person that God created, he created with an unfallen nature. And that, and they, they call that the, uh, they call Jesus the second Adam, mm -hmm. the Bible is. Uh, so uh, this is what he had in mind was was a, a person without this lower nature. And as you read through Genesis, of course the nature's busted, and now we've got a broken man. And so now God uh, comes up with some uh, some solutions to try to uh, sending prophets and seers and and. And, and godly kings to try to keep the nation more toward this first Adam. Uh, and so finally, as you run through the Old Testament, God gives up that the, the nation of Israel is, is, not, is no longer going to recover uh, the way they first started. Uh, they've lost their first love. And so now we see Jesus as the second Adam. And uh, so what needs to be in our mind is not just uh, making converts, but we need to uh, uh, look for one person who might want to become a Christian and then look for someone who wants to grow. And we want to, in our mindset, is to take them toward this first Adam or the second Adam. 
and and we we lose our way we 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 uh we lose our direction on how to get to that end product and uh that that causes us to move back into addition Mm -hmm. So multiplication is developing healthy people who have the ability to help other healthy people. So I'm going to try to tie these things together. Um, again, we have 30 years together. And so when we talk, there are like hundreds of conversations that we're filling in the gaps. But just for those who, who might be encountering both of us for the first time, what we're saying is that God had a, a purpose in the beginning. We see that in Genesis 1. He, he wants an earth filled with people who share his image. Like that first Adam. Like that first Adam. And he's not just going to create the world full of them. He's, he's going to create those people, and then they're going to partner with him in spreading the image. So we see back in Genesis God's original intent. Of course, most of the Old Testament shows us how that plan um, got sidetracked or, or how mankind's sin um, subverted and perverted that original plan. So now there's a world full of people who are still made in the image of God, but there's a lot in there that does not reflect God's image, uh, which is because of sin. Jesus comes on the scene not to start something completely new, but to restore that original <laughs> intent Good. that God always had, but like you said, also upgrade it. So he so he restores it and, and then he does upgrade it so that we're not just talking about physical offspring now. We're talking about spiritual um, generations as well. And so, so we want to look through Jesus because he's the one that's going to help us discern not just what the mission is, but, but how to go about it. And so you have a, um, you have 10 things here that I'm going to read through. Mm. Um, these are 10 ways that Jesus showed us how to multiply. And so we've got this mission. Jesus has come back to, to restore and upgrade it. And there are 10 ways that Jesus has showed us how we can be part of this and, and multiply as well. And you called this keeping the vision of multiplication alive when you shared this a few months back. Um, and you really see this as a message that you want to give the remainder of however much time the Lord gives you. That this is what you want to stay focused on. Is that yes, right? Yes, uh, this is my uh, going to be my last emphasis. Uh, I shall carry this to the end. So I, I hope people will. Um, I mean, they may or may not, but I I, I appreciate the fact that you're someone who's been following Jesus. Uh, faithfully for 60 years. And this is a message that you believe that, that God wants you to help us get, get clear so that we can live out for those of us who are in the, the next generation. So I'm going to read these 10 things, these 10 ways that Jesus um, has shown us how we can multiply. And then we're only going to be able to focus on a few of them, but let me just read through them at a, at a, at a shot here. So first, Jesus commanded us to follow his example. John 13, 15, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Secondly, Jesus summarized the Old Testament so that there would be no question on what God was trying to say. We see that in Matthew 7, the, the summary commanded, 
the summary commandment, love God with all your heart, but then specifically love your neighbor as yourself. That that was the way Jesus summarized the Old Testament. He also showed us the greatest commandment. They asked him, what's the greatest? And he told them, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So that's number three. Number four, Jesus gave us one last new commandment in John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. So you also must love one another. It's, it's essential that you know who, who he's talking to there. He's talking to his 11 faithful disciples. And he's telling those 11, the new commandment is, do for the next generation what I did for you. Specifically, you 11 are called to go out and do the same thing with the next 11, so to speak. That's the fourth, the new commandment. The fifth is that he showed us how to multiply our fruit. And you, you describe this as healthy orphans. So we're going to come back and talk about that one. But that one's in John 4, 38, where Jesus sends out the 12 and he tells them, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Number six, Jesus showed us how to select the kind of people to train. This is from Matthew 10 and the corresponding passage in Luke where he sends out the disciples two by two and he tells them to look for a worthy person when, he in, when they enter a village. And if they can't find one, leave the village. <laughs> so how to select the kind of people to train. Seventh, he showed us the timetable, how long it would take. Now this one's more inference, but we know Jesus spent three years of concentrated time with the disciples that he trained. It was not a quick overnight thing. Seventh, he showed us the timetable. Oops, I just did that one. Eighth, he showed us the age bracket to fish for. Jesus trained young people. Ninth, he showed us how to follow up and train disciples. Life on life, not through programs. And then finally, 10, and there's more than this. This is not exhaustive, but these are 10 that you, you quickly focused on Jesus showing us how to multiply. The 10th is that he left us a personified manual. Uh, and you, you mentioned that a picture is worth a thousand words. And so with Jesus, we have this demonstrated life that we can go, th that we can go to. Uh, and I, I, I truly believe that that's what guided the disciples, that first generation of, of, of disciples who, as they went out um, and they ran into new, new circumstances, new challenges as, as the gospel was spreading and the church was growing, they could think back, you know, did Jesus teach on this? Did Jesus refer to this? And so Jesus really was their blueprint, but he was, he was also ours. So those are the 10. I really want to start with that last one, that a picture is worth a thousand words and that in Jesus, we have a, a personified manual. Again, if folks want a deeper dive, they can go back and listen to that conversation that we had. I'll put a link in the show notes here. But what, um, what do you think people often miss in the modern church when it comes to this specific point of Jesus being our personified manual? I think we look at the Bible. I think these early disciples uh, were, were looking at the culmination of, of the Old Testament. It wasn't they weren't excluding the Old Testament. I read the Old Testament every morning. Uh, there's all kind of value in it in terms of the character of God and the consequences and, and uh, things that are left out of the Gospels. But uh, 
uh, I think they were following. Uh, it's so much easier to follow an example as to try to figure out a principle. And so uh, I've, I've got a verse that I, I that that uh, communicates this to me. And I think they were they were tracking what Jesus was teaching and tracking uh, the way he lived. And this verse is in Second John uh, nine and ten. And it says, anyone who wanders away from the teaching of Christ has no relationship with God. This is the uh, NLT version. I mean, it's clear that if you leave this teaching, you can't have the, you can't have the kind of relationship with God you'd like. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. And then verse 10, if anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, uh, don't invite that person into your home or give him any kind of encouragement. I mean, that's, if this is true, if the, it, it, they were narrow. Now, it wasn't that they weren't reading the Old Testament also, but they were interpreting the Old Testament in light, it's like doing a puzzle, and, and you have the picture of the puzzle, and you got all these pieces, and you're, you're looking at the puzzle, and and you're looking at the picture, and that's an eye that's going to go right there in the middle, and so they had this picture of what they were uh, working toward, and uh, but I think we're I don't think we have this picture in front of the ten thousand pieces of, of a puzzle, and I think it leaves us. Uh, it makes it difficult for us to figure out exactly what God is thinking about. And he's thinking about developing more Christs. Yeah. And we think he's trying to get more people into the kingdom. And, and not that everybody thinks that, but we have different opinions that may vary from what God is thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and this, this uh, people may hear that, and they, it may seem radical, but this is a pretty mainstream view of, of what scholars, how scholars view the the value structure of early early Christians that that they received the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God that that pointed them to the Messiah who they understood was Jesus, uh, but the highest regard was the words of Jesus that they received from the apostles, and so if you were an early Christian in Corinth and you had Old Testament scripture, and you had an apostle who was sharing with you the teachings of Jesus, it was no question what you wanted to learn. You wanted to learn the teachings of Jesus that this apostle was, was sharing with you. And, and then those teachings were what informed and helped make sense of the Old Testament scriptures. So they were not, um, they're all divine in the sense that uh, they, so they all have divine uh, origin. They're all God breathed. But they were not equal in in emphasis. In emphasis, it was the teachings of Jesus, and that's why you would see a passage, a story like Jesus um, saying, "Not what uh, goes into a man defiles him, but what comes out of a man." And the reason that story made it into the Gospel of Mark thirty years after it had been passed down orally for thirty years, because it was so helpful, because people were trying to figure out, "Well, I've got these Old Testament passages that say I should only eat certain things." What Jesus once taught, he once taught something about what comes out of a man is what defiles a man. And that's why you see 
there, if you have the red letter Bibles in that passage in Mark, you see Jesus talking and there's a little black set of words with a parentheses. Mm-hmm. Thus he declared all foods clean. Mm -hmm. That's why that story was told is because they were trying to figure out how to live faithfully. And they had these Old Testament scriptures, but they understood them in light of the teachings of Jesus, which had preeminence. And then the New Testament is just an expounding on the person and the words of Jesus. So I think think what I hear you saying, and you can uh, clarify this before we move on to the next one, what I hear you saying is that we can't just treat all the Bible with the same emphasis. That in Jesus, we have the, all of this is God's revelation, but in Jesus, we have the ultimate revelation. We have the, the living embodiment that he is, uh, how does it say, that he is the exact representation of his nature. So in Jesus, we can see this flawless model of God, God with us, God in the flesh. And so we, we start with him. That's, uh, I, I, think, I think what the Old Testament was trying to produce is what Jesus is. And so uh, we don't want to. Uh, I've I've been criticized that I'm I'm playing down the black letters, and playing up the red letters, but I don't mean to do that at all. I mean to say that the red letters are interpreting the black letters. They are the answer to what the black letters are seeking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Paul says this in Ephesians two twenty that. Uh, that everything, as you, I think you mentioned earlier, everything is aligned by him. So when, when I read something in the Old Testament, I want to immediately look in, uh, at the New Testament. Am I supposed to offer a, 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 an animal when I sin? No, no. First John 1, 9. Uh, he was that animal. So the, that he is, he is fulfilling and he is the symbolism and the ceremonialism. Uh, he is fulfilling those things. And now... Uh, and so he's going to re, he's going to embody and re, and reiterate uh, what was true in the Old Testament. And then and, and so we don't want to get lost in the New Testament either. The New Testament is merely uh, Paul's and the apostles' assignment to to take this to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. I know you had shared Ephesians two twenty, which talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. Um, and, and us as followers, as the, as the church, as the household of God, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And it's, it's, it's a very poetic picture of, you know, the apostles, you know, that this is the New Testament. The apostles wrote the New Testament. The prophets wrote the Old Testament. So we're built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But the cornerstone, what they were aligning themselves on was Jesus himself, the Messiah. So all these things, they don't merely fit together. They all flow off of what God has revealed in in the person of Christ. There's another one I wanted to touch on. I, I picked four of these that I wanted to try to get to on our conversation today. Four of these 10 ways that, that Jesus showed us how to multiply. Because I think these are four that we as the church are most prone to miss and we just kind of go right past them and and don't even realize that we've missed but it was number five where you said he showed us how to multiply our fruit and you it's where you talk about healthy orphans and this idea of a, of a scale if we had a scale of one to ten the importance of 
training people who are already well on their way in, in faith. So I think this is going to be one that maybe uh, surprises some people. So what do you mean by, by looking for healthy orphans? And uh, what is this scale about one through 10? Well, if, if Jesus didn't do it, then I don't need to be talking about it. And so it's up to us to figure out, uh, is that what he did? Uh, so did, did Jesus reach into uh, the non-Christian world and raise up someone, uh, uh, breadcrumb him to Christ, and then spend the time to develop him so that he could become mature and then train him? Uh, I don't think we have time to do that, and, and, and he chose not to do that. So he picked someone, uh, uh, he picked his, uh, the 11 who were fully committed I mean, uh, James and John were fire breathers. Uh, Nathaniel was a man without guile. Uh, uh, they, they had parents that were raising them good. Uh, even Judas had such zeal that he hung himself over his stupidity. So he didn't pick people from the beginning. Now, he's going to commission this uh, after he finishes this. He's going to commission now. Not only do what I told you to do, but now go into the non-Christian world and now start uh, uh, preaching the gospel and raise them up. And that's what Paul and, uh, is the best example of that. So we want to start with Paul, but we want to end up with Jesus. My fear is that we started with Paul and we mm. may be ending with Paul. We never got around to Jesus. Yeah. I think you see this even with... So just... A couple of scripture references so that people, if, if they're still a little fuzzy on what we're talking about here, you know, Jesus, you, you go to John 1, and the first two disciples that you see Jesus connecting with there are referred to him by John the Baptist. So these were people who were already out there in the wilderness looking for God, hungry for God. And at that point, John the Baptist was the, the clearest way available for them to grow and to be the kind of men that God was calling them to be. And so when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, they wanted to go uh, follow Jesus. And they became two of the 12, uh, Andrew and John, uh, two of the 12 apostles. But, but Jesus found those men not, not in the tavern. He, he found those men already seeking and following and learning from John the Baptist. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16, um, he finds Timothy, and that's a very famous relationship between Paul and Timothy, but um, when, when you see Paul meeting with Timothy there in Acts 16, you find Timothy is described as, as a disciple who was already well spoken of by the church there in Lystra. And later Paul says that, that Timothy had learned the faith from his mother and his grandmother. So, so Paul selects and trains Timothy, like you said, not from scratch, not from the beginnings of his faith, but he finds in Timothy someone who is already well on his way, and he sees the value of grabbing that younger man and then training him. And that's, that's what you're talking about in terms of healthy orphans. Yes. That he, he uh, because we n normally don't have time. The reason the military has done a, a, a good job with reproducing is because we we were in an infantry loop, mm -hmm. 
And so not only when they spent four years at one infantry uh, establishment, they went to the next. And this guy picked up where these guys left off. So we begin to, to get that concentrated time through people with the same vision, which was uh, what we thought Christ's uh, vision was. And uh, therefore, uh, we became more, more uh, fruitful uh, than, than normal. Uh, because we were able to, to uh, accomplish that concentrated time. Right. And, and for those who are listening, uh, he's talking about our navigator ministries within the, the military and especially within the Army. Because we had so many like-minded um, ministries in different parts of the country, you know, people could move from place to place and just not skip a beat. They could continue to grow and develop. So I think this is such a great one because oftentimes we can devalue that. We can, we can put evangelism as such a high priority, and it is something that, that we're called to do and that we should be faithful at, that we can, and that's what you said, we, we can start with Paul we, and never get around to Jesus where we see the value of what about, you know, you said you languished in the church for five years before someone was willing to, or before someone came up into your life who would take you and actually show you how to how to begin following Jesus. So I think this is one that we often miss, um, and yet Jesus modeled for us, one of those 10 ways that Jesus showed us how to multiply. Let me throw one other thing in there. Uh, I, I, when I left Fort Knox after uh, uh, six years of training, uh, I spoke on John 15. And only uh, a couple of years ago, as I was reading through John 15, I saw something I'd never seen before, which makes me believe that these things are hidden. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a verse that, uh, that never resonated to me. And in John 15, 1, uh, the father is the gardener. Uh, and he takes care of, uh, uh, of the vineyard. And he said that, he, and the father prunes every branch that, so it will bear more fruit. And then John, uh, John 15, 3, Jesus said, you 11 have been pruned uh, by the teaching that I've given you. And so the pruning for more fruitfulness will come from his teachings. And I, 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 I'm thinking, how did I miss this clear picture of, of, uh, of, of pruning? But I did. Mm-hmm. And, and as, I've, as I continue to go year after year, I'm seeing things that I, uh, that I missed in the past. And that's the value of reading through the Bible repeatedly, because you cannot. It's like going through uh, the Sistine Chapel and try to remember all those pictures. You know, you'll be lost in the sauce. So our, our objective uh, is to go through uh, the scriptures so many times that we can catch all these uh, difficult uh, verses. And as you say, especially Jesus, uh, in Jesus are hidden these, these treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's a great example of uh, seeing something in, in the teaching of Jesus that, that you hadn't seen, even though you had been through that passage yeah. over and over throughout the years. And if I would, I did have more than 10, but if I would slip another one in here, it would be first you have to become a 10 before you can recruit fives. That would be one that needs to be put in. That if you're a two, then you're going to basically be relegated to ones and minuses or non-Christians. And so the idea of growing is... If you don't grow, then you you can't reproduce. 
Right. And this scale that we're talking about, one to 10, is completely arbitrary. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> like, it's, all, we're just trying to use it for reference that if, if let's say you're brand new in the faith, you, you just, um, you just came to faith in repentance and, and in baptism and you're beginning to follow Jesus. Okay. That's a one. And that's, that's great. That's a great place to be. Um, eventually God wants you to grow to full maturity in Christ. You're in the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. And, and at that point, your number one mission is to grow, to grow and to learn. And you see that with, with infants, that all they're doing is growing, processing waste, and taking in more nutrients. I mean, that's really what they're doing in these early months. We've got a, a five-month-old downstairs right now. And it's amazing. Um, it's She's doing exactly what she needs to be doing right now. But eventually... God willing, she'll grow to full maturity physically, and perhaps the Lord will give her a family. But she's she's got to grow at this point. So if you're if you're getting started, yes, grow, and whatever level you're at, like you said, if you're at a two or a three, then maybe you can help a one or a two. Um, but this this principle is for those who are more mature, for those who are more established. Look for those who are at level five, which again is arbitrary, but you're looking for someone who's already primed and ready, who actually wants to be equipped to help others. Well, this, uh, this ninth principle that you mentioned was that Jesus showed us how to follow up and train disciples. And then you mentioned, uh, he did this life on life, not with programs. So I think, again, this is one that we we miss so often in the church. Our first instinct is to think through, hey, we want we want to help people in our church become stronger disciples and grow in discipleship. And almost invariably, we, we start thinking through what materials are we going to use to help communicate this? And then what, what program or what events are we going to put on? Um, and Jesus didn't seem to do that. He, he, he used his life. So how do you see that playing out in the Gospels? Uh, I, I used to be a, uh, a little more critical uh, of uh, the church than I am now. Uh, and finally, again, uh, getting these epiphanies. If nobody trains the pastor on life on life, and the only way he's trained is through a program, what can we expect from him? Yeah, you reproduce what you're familiar yeah. with. And so uh, he's definitely contributing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, when I say a pastor, I'm talking about certain churches, not all churches. But he is contributing to the kingdom. But it's going to be hard for him to reproduce um, by, by academics. Uh, and that's why the Jesus shows Jesus could have easily created some manuals. Mm -hmm. And uh, all we need to do is follow those manuals. But he didn't. He showed us uh, uh, how that the, the way you train people uh, is the same way that we train our children. We don't send our children to orphanages. We keep them in our homes so that we can live our lives in front of them. And now our kids uh, are clear uh, how they can raise their families because they saw us raise, raise them. But if there's an orphanage, they won't get to see that. And so I, I think there's many pastors who haven't been able to see that. And, uh, and again, I, one of the reasons I think that, uh, that uh, we don't see Jesus as uh, uh, in totality. Yeah, I, I think so too. 
it's it's this idea of we can be off track in terms of what God's mission is. So that's that's one thing that we touched on a little earlier. If we don't know what it is that that God is about, and we can go back to Genesis to see that. Genesis 1, and then we can see it again in the, in the life of Jesus. He's bringing us back in alignment. But we can we can be um, professing Christians involved in the church and, and just not be focused on that mission. But a second way that we can err is we can we can seek to do God's work with, with man's methods. And I think in Jesus, what we have is is the best of both worlds. We have we have clarity on what what God's work is that he's calling us to, but we also have clarity on God's way, you know, God's methods of accomplishing that work. And you can't improve on that. You really can't do better than studying Jesus, not just to see what the mission is, but to begin to discern the means of, of accomplishing that. And one of those was life on life. And it's, it is in such stark contrast. We've read and taken people through the master plan of evangelism by Robert Coleman, a great resource that I would encourage people to check out if they haven't already, that really does a great job of doing this, of studying the life of Jesus. And one of the things that he did was he demonstrated this life of following Jesus. The last one is point seven. And this, this actually touches on what we just talked about with life on life. But your seventh point was that Jesus showed us the timetable. He spent three concentrated years with the disciples. And, and then uh, you had 10,000 hours written next to that. What do you mean by 10,000 hours? Well, obviously, that was just a, 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 a guess. And, to, and uh, I really got the guess from other people. But uh, you know, our, our, I also put uh, our 10 years. Uh, and uh, I, I, we, we've found you, you and I and others that uh, you can't you can't take a ba- a baby from one to puberty uh, very quickly. It's going to take a while. I think uh, God is is interested in doing something in us before He does something through us, and so uh, He uh, we we don't want to bear a baby and then. The next day, uh, he goes to get married. We would like to enjoy that 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 uh, baby and and give him the instructions that needed. I, I think that's what Jesus did with with, with the eleven. Uh, and it and although sitting in a church and listening to messages is part of the program, the other part is the life on life, where that you begin to have the uh, Q and A with with your your parent, your mentor. Uh, and and Jesus spent tons of hours with with these guys, and so we don't have Jesus Himself, but we have mentors who understand Jesus, who is going to be uh, temporary mentors for us. Yeah. And uh, you know, you call me your mentor. That was only temporary. Your now mentor is Jesus Himself, and so I I drop off the map in that sense. And so what we have is the Gospels. And if people aren't reading through the Gospels uh, repeatedly, not just once through the Bible, uh, I read two pages of the Old Testament every morning. I read one third of a page of the New, and I read one chapter of the Gospel, as I did this morning, as I will tomorrow morning. I have gone through the Bible in one year. 
Uh, but I have gone through the Gospels in four times. I want to make sure that uh, I, I, I understand the old or understand the new, but Jesus is the one that's hiding things. Moses is trying to be clear. Paul's trying to be clear. But Jesus, if we want a relationship with him, we're going to have to dig. And so uh, you can't just read the Gospels uh, in line with the rest of the Bible. You've got to expedite it. I made a, uh, one of my vows I've made in my life is that I'll never let a day go by with one chapter of the Bible. Well, since then, that's progressed into a chapter of the Gospels. If I'm not, if I only have time for one, one, one chapter, which it's been decades before anything like that has happened, it's going to be a chapter of the Gospel. So I'm going to get a chapter of the Gospel for the rest of my life. One thought I had as uh, as we were talking about this, and, and we'll we'll start wrapping it up here. But you know, we we all want wholehearted, mature followers of of Christ. We want to see our churches filled with them. We want to disciple people who who have those values and who look that way. But what I'm really getting from this conversation today is that we're just undercooking people. So one, we're not we're not we're grabbing people too early. Um, we're not spending enough time with them in terms of life on life, in terms of a variety of experiences. We're just, we're just talking to them in a very limited way. In many cases, we're, we're only seeing them maybe once a week and we're, we're talking at them. Like you said, that's part of the program, but it's never going to be enough. We're not getting enough time with them, the concentrated three years, which for, for those of us in modern life is going to convert to seven it, years, it could be 10, 10 yeah. years. We're just not staying with people long enough. And then to your first point that Jesus is this personified manual, we're not following the recipe. So we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to get the results, um, but we're not following the recipe. We're, <laughs> we're not grabbing the right materials. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting way to think about this. I'm gonna put all 10 of these um, points that, that Cecil shared in his message in the show notes. So if you want to look through those, you can, and you can study them further um, at your own leisure. But we tried to focus on the, the basic principles today and then dive into a few of those in, in a little more depth. I always think that um, when we have conversations like this or when we study the Bible, we should always be looking for implications and applications. And a heavy implication coming out of today is that you you have to focus on Jesus. You 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 should be the most extreme out of the believers that you know, you should be the most extremely focused on Jesus. Maybe to such a degree that other people are taken aback at at how much of a big deal you're making about Jesus and studying him and see, seeking to pattern your life after him. To me that would be an implication I'm taking away from this conversation. You've already given us some applications, some of your applications of how you're trying to do that, reading at least one chapter a day from the Gospels. Anything else that you would want to share with, with folks about how they could do that? I was just thinking of a verse first that you were just sharing. Uh, there's a verse that's meaningful to me in Matthew uh, 23, 8, and where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and uh, the pomp and whatever. But uh, he, he, he tells them that uh, you only have one rabbi 
And, uh, of course, they had multiple rabbis uh, during that time. But he wanted to let them know, you only have one rabbi. That's the Christ. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that needs to be true in our life, too, that, uh, w- that uh, we need to glean from anybody we can. But uh, it will all go back to what that one rabbi says. I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but uh, that's one of the things I've always had the heebie-jeebies about uh, celebrity pastors. So when when we lived up in the Seattle area, there were Mark Driscoll and, and Mars Hill Church were sort of in their heyday, and, and a lot of people were just really excited about learning from, from Mark Driscoll. I've... I've seen people who are that way with Paul Washer. I've seen people like that who who are like that with John MacArthur, you know, or even with dead people, John Calvin. You know, a lot of people are just, they're all about these, these human teachers of God's word. And um, I would just say if, if, if people experience you and, and that's what they get is that you're all about that particular human teacher, then... I think you've missed in a big way. I, I think you've missed that Matthew 23 principle that we should never be more about these human teachers than we are. What, what people should be getting is that this guy is radically trying to follow Jesus to such an extent that even within a church setting, it seems a little odd. It seems a little unique. So um, it's one of the things that I've really appreciated. Um, it's one of the ways that you've helped me over the years. Uh, just elevating that emphasis and then watching you stay focused in that way over the decades has been uh, motivating and encouraging to me. So I I really appreciate it, Cecil. And uh, thanks again for coming on today and sharing with us. It's fun. 